the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'll be your host for today's nonprofit MBA podcast. For those of you who don't know who I am or you know my company, uh, I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions. And over the last 12 years, we are the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for small nonprofits. So the line of credit is very valuable. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I speak to clients that just love their line of credit that they've had. It usually was not available to small nonprofits, and now it is. And if you're interested in learning more, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Uh, today, uh, we have a sponsor, and our sponsor is Arraise. It's spelled A-R-A-I-Z-E, and Arraise Fast Fund Online is a software that's specifically built for a nonprofit, smaller nonprofit, small, mid-sized nonprofits. It's accounting software, and you know, uh, I, I think it's a great product. You know, a lot of nonprofits use QuickBooks. And I think that's a that's not the best product for a nonprofit. Then you know they kind of it's like a square peg in a round hole. You're trying to make it fit, and it you know doesn't really work. Uh, a raise is a perfect product. It's priced really well, and it's something for you to really consider. If you're interested in learning more uh, about a raise, uh, you can go to their web- website arraise.com, a r a i z e dot com or call eight four seven. Two six one nine six zero five and ask for Joe. Today, I'm very excited to be bringing back a return guest who was with me two years ago, and I asked her to come back, Diane Leonard from DH Leonard Consulting. Diane is a uh, grant professional, certified and approved trainer of the Grant Professionals Association. Diane is also a registered Scrum trainer, Scrum master, and Scrum product owner. Uh, Diane uh, began her career as a program officer, a full-time staff member of the statewide grant-making organization, and she continues to serve as a reviewer for a variety of grant-making organizations. Since 2006, when she formed DH Lawrence Consulting, Diane and her team has secured more than $104 million in competitive grants awards for their clients. She is an active member of the Grant Professionals Association. And when not working with her team on grant applications for clients, Diane can be found in the Thousand Islands out for a run or drinking a strong cup of coffee, which always sounds good to me. And for those of you who don't know Thousand Islands, Diane, Thousand Islands is Minnesota, correct? That's a thousand lakes. A thousand islands is the uh, St. Lawrence River. So the outflow for the Great Lakes as you head for the Atlantic. So along the Canadian uh, border, both wow. beautiful areas of the country to visit. Yeah, I, 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 my, my friends did a, he, a, an amazing uh, canoe trip down the St. Lawrence. And uh, they talk about it all the time. I guess if you go up really high, it gets really small. And uh, they were in the feeding rivers to the to that area. So sounds gorgeous. I've never been there. Is, is there a lot to do? Yes. It just depends on whether you like snow or not. Boating in the summer, snowmobiling in the winter. 
So you just well, want to pick your time of year accordingly, but there's always a lot to do outside here. Uh, I'd like to do both of those. That's great. Well, good. All right. Well, Diane, today we're going to be talking about how to create agile leadership at your nonprofit. And so when we talk about agile leadership, uh, are we talking about executive directors? Are we talking about board members? What are we talking about here? We're talking about anyone within the nonprofit. Uh, having the word leader in there does make you stop to consider what is the title of the person. But really, agile leadership is about anyone in the organization embracing those values to help bring about change, help achieve their mission and vision. What, why is, I mean, your specialty is grant making, you know, grant get, helping organizations get grants. But, you know, you, you presented this topic to me, which I thought was a good topic. Uh, why, why is leadership so important when we're talking about grant making? Sure. Great question. So when we think about grants, um, they're organization-wide in terms of their impact, in terms of the work that is done pre-award to get them and post-award to successfully implement them. And so a lot of the work uh, our team does as grant professionals is not only writing, but around organizational capacity, organizational change, and project management, which is where then talking about grant professionals as leaders in the organization started. And the reality is, though, the more time that we've spent in those discussions with organizations, that uh, leadership within the organization doesn't have to be based on the org chart, based on the title. Uh, it's really about those that can bring values for responding to change, those that can bring values for uh, thinking about how they interact with people over maybe what the process or the tool might indicate that they would do. And so uh, that's a different way that nonprofit professionals can create change than they might have otherwise expected. Do you see a direct correlation between organizations that are really good at getting grants and uh, leadership? I do. And I wish <laughs> that's a gut response right away. I'm like, I do. Uh-oh, what data am I going to provide to back up that <laughs> statement? Um, You're definitely is. a grant writer because when you, when you say, I'm looking for data. Yeah, I get right? it. I was like, what am I going to cite? You're like, according to whom, Diane? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and anecdotally, when we think about the organizations that we work with that see strong track records, whether they're thinking about foundation funding or city, state, federal, those that have... Uh, it's not just a, a one-time success, but rather have sustained success are those, whether it is, again, by title or by the role that they play within the organization, they have strong leaders, folks that are trying to help each other, collaborate together, focus on a, achieving a goal together, achieving their mission together, instead of saying, well, my title says I do this and your title says you do that, right? but rather working collaboratively towards their overall mission and vision. Yeah, you know, the the unsexy part of running a nonprofit is I, I get I get really excited about it, but the unsexy part is when you have incredible execution. And I think the incredible execution stems when you have incredible leadership. I would Does agree that make with sense? That. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean yeah. I mean if you have a lack of leadership, you have a lack of good execution probably as well. So what what makes a great leader at a nonprofit? Sure. So I think it's going to look different for each and every person, 
right? Because it could be different amounts of time in the organization, different degree paths that brought them to where they are, different passion areas. So it could be in program, it could be in fundraising, right? It could be in more traditional leadership. So to me, I think what makes a great leader are the values that they are embracing and bringing to the table. And so actually there's four values that we're looking for in trying to coach and support in nonprofit leaders to build their leadership skills to help, um, we say be agile, because they're trying to think about how to pivot and react to the things that are always changing in their environment. So there's four values that we're looking for. And the first is that they're individuals, uh, people who are looking at how they interact with each other and with their peers and with their stakeholders versus what does the process say? What does the policy, the procedure say that we have to do? Not that that's not important, but we value the individuals and interactions more. So that would be the first thing for the, the good leaders. The second is that they're thinking about uh, what is it that they're producing? What is it that they're creating? Whether it's delivery of hot meals, whether it's producing grant applications, but getting things to people, getting things to funders, getting things to community members so they can be used and they can get feedback on it, maybe continuously improve it versus creating the perfect conditions and having everything documented in advance, every I dotted, every T crossed before they might take action. So that would be a second value. Uh, the third is that they're looking for collaboration, which is such funding buzz language, uh, but collaboration internally, externally, thinking about a different way of doing things versus, uh, well, who do I have a memorandum of understanding with or who do I have a service agreement with? And that's the only way we could approach a, a new a solution or a new scenario. And then the fourth, and this is the value that we've seen so many nonprofit professionals in all roles really embrace the last three and a half years, uh, responding to change over following a plan. I always think um, I loved the Friends TV show. So the most overplayed meme to me during the pandemic was that pivot one with Ross trying to get the couch up this teeny tiny staircase. Mm. But uh, nonprofit professionals that embrace that, that demonstrate that in the day-to-day -day work that they're doing, whether it's because a funder called them and asked for something last minute, or whether a partner said, we need help because what we thought was going to happen isn't. Those happen every day in nonprofits. And so the individuals that can, okay, go, wait, let me reorient myself, what just happened and take action. Uh, that of the four values I just articulated, I think that one is actually the most important for what we see in successful leadership and nonprofit professionals. From your experience, is leadership um, inherent or is it something that you learn? I would say that there is uh, some inherent traits that might feel more comfortable for others, but I think it can be a learned and practiced skill. Uh, even if there's some inherent leadership traits, there's a lot of, um, I love, like well, my bio said, you'll find me out for a run along the, the Thousand Islands or in the winter when it's snowing up here, you'll find me like on a bike. So I love a good analogy related to like building muscles. So you might have a natural tendency towards leadership, but it needs to be strengthened the way you would think about strengthening your muscles. So trying different workouts, different scenarios that would strengthen it in different ways, right? Um, so yeah, I believe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think what I find is you have to find your voice, um, so to speak, your leadership uh, style, really. And you find your style that fits you. Uh, I But I do think, you know, do I think everybody is a, can be a leader? No. 
Do I think that people generally who've started a nonprofit? Yes. Uh, I think that they uh, can develop their leadership skills. I know I certainly have over the, uh, but it, it took a lot of reading, a lot of, uh, a lot of coaching, a lot of going to, to uh, lectures and, uh, you know, something I worked on and there's, to me, there are three types of um, levels. There's, there's a leader, there is the manager, and then there's the worker bee. And often at a smaller nonprofit, the executive director is having to do all three of those things. And I think as, as the nonprofit grows, what you find is the, the executive director starts to not be the worker bee. And they start to do the leadership management role much more. And by the way, I, it's very, very difficult. I'll say from personal experience, in 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 having to be in all three of those things. It's just that's where the crux of you know lots of uh, working crazy hours comes into play. And pulling your hair out because you you know you're you're having to change directions so much. Um, I found when I was able to focus on leadership because then I hired managers. I was like, oh, I could take a breath, you know. But unfortunately, you have to be at a certain revenue before you can kind of do that. And uh, um, do you find that? Uh, the people that at, that are at nonprofits, the smaller ones, um, do you find that the majority of them are introverts or extroverts? Ooh, I'd say it's hard to tell. What's the right? data say? <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew that you were going to say that. You knew it. Um, and it's hard to say because I'm an introvert. Yet people that interact with me in the workplace think I'm an extrovert. So that's why I'm like, oh, it's really hard to tell because what you see forward facing, I think, is uh, difficult for, to really understand what's going to help people recharge. Um, but I, I agree that, you know, if you're looking at small nonprofits, handful of staff, maybe they've grown now, they've got like two teams with still one executive director wearing all the hats, doing all the things. It leads to heroic efforts, no doubt. But I think those scenarios, when you've got those small nonprofits, I think that there's also then the, those who are the worker bees that have the strong potential to develop those leadership muscles and to have, you don't know as they come into that situation, could they start to grow and could they become a manager? Could they be the next small nonprofit executive director? There's a lot of potential because just like their executive director wears so many hats, they often are then in a community spot or in an organizational spot where they're grabbing a hat they didn't expect either. And I think that uh, for some, the leadership hat could fit really well, but they're not sure, right? And so I think that's a spot where they could be empowered and have the opportunity for themselves, but also really to, to help bolster the organization. Yeah, you know, I, I really found that it doesn't take much to improve your leadership skills. Uh, you know, the, you just need to kind of start reading, pay attention, you know, if you can get a coach, that's really helpful. It just doesn't really, there's a lot of things that you just, you learn that's pretty easy to implement. I, I, would you agree with that? I don't ever like the word easy because to me, I think it's, it's accessible to everyone, but I think it takes the desire to try and fail at some new skills. Yes. And also to be, 
focused on building habits. I think leadership, a lot of it is about the habit for the consistency of how you might listen to others, how you would um, present solutions, maybe sometimes, right, sitting back and listening, other times putting forward. So I think it is accessible to all, but I I don't want to say that it's easy because I think it, it does take work to digest. How many books are there? Right look behind me, <laughs> there's piles of books on my shelf, lots of them about leadership. Which one do you read? Which one's best? Uh, there's so many resources. It could be overwhelming to think about what will best support you. Yeah, I, I uh, maybe you're right. I just Maybe it just came a little easier. Uh, I'm not pumping myself up. But, you know, I just think every single time I read an article, I read a book, I, I went to a lecture, you know, I always walked away with something that I used. You know, I, it just... Well, I say, and because the way you describe it, you have a habit of seeking learning, right? I you do. have a habit yeah. for how you digest and how you let that process, which is a fantastic approach for yeah. how to do it. But not everyone has that same approach. So what you're right, like for you, the yeah. muscle of digesting uh, was there. But what's yeah, your also, favorite I, leadership book? Is my big question. I'm like, well, what's my what's favorite your go-to? Yeah. You know, I, it's funny you should say that. Uh, I, I, it's not a book. It was a course that I took on leadership. And uh, I don't want to uh, make it this long, uh, but it was amazing. It was a uh, – I think they did it over a, one full day. It brought this guy in from uh, – I think he was from Arkansas – and uh, they brought him. They, they brought him into New York City. Um, I, I live close to New York, and um, and he he used this old movie by Gregory Peck called Twelve O'clock High. It is a a, a military movie, and it, the only reason I, I I just it's a perfect timing. I just finished a book that by Malcolm Gladwell about uh, the dropping of the bomb on Japan how that killed 50,000 people, but it was the Tokyo raids uh, where the, that killed a million people bombing before the atomic bomb that made a big deal. And he mentions this, this famous movie called 12 o'clock high. And what the instructor did was he would have us watch this movie and at certain intervals throughout the movie would stop and show us what good leadership was about. And it was mm -hmm. the most influential movie uh, uh, leadership training I ever went to. It showed you because it was a contrast be between the leader that was there in the movie before Gregory Peck, Peck came in. And then what happens when Gregory Peck comes in, it's based on a true story of the bombing of Tokyo and uh, how they were setting up this B-29 bombs bombers for the very first time. They had no idea that they were going to work. And uh, so that was the most influential course I ever had in teaching me this is the way leadership works, how you act and, and takeaways from it. And um, so, you know, but I also – you know, read leadership about, about from Abraham Lincoln and, uh, you know, other people as well. And, uh, it, you know, so, yeah. Uh, what, what about you? See, I knew if I asked you the question, I should be ready to answer it. And I wasn't quite there. Um, but I do love, I love listening to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you know? he's amazing. <laughs> the what storytelling a, and the data points. Like, I, I read all his books. Coming. I know. Yeah. Read, I've read all his books. I love his podcast, but yep. 
Um, and so I think a lot of the leadership books that I'm reading, well, they probably get categorized more as business self-help style mm -hmm. right now because um, like I just recently finished Atomic Habits. Mm. Uh, James Clear. I know about it. Yeah. And so the books that I'm digesting and just ravenously consuming are related to how people are uh, approaching good habits, uh, consistent habits, consistent work, so that when things happen unexpectedly, how can you, okay, let's reset. How can we continue forward? And what does that look like in team settings? So actually, uh, one of my favorite books that's been here for quite a while, The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson, is about psychological safety and what that looks like in teams. And so to me, it's about how to create an environment. Like those are the books that I love about creating a successful team environment and giving people tools and knowing options for how to help the team, regardless of the size of the organization, continue to thrive together. So I guess actually I answered with two books. I went against the rules there. You asked me yeah, well, they say, you too. <laughs> yeah, there, there's an old adage and they said that uh, if you read three books on a subject matter, you're an expert on it. Yeah. So if you can read three books, uh, no, it depends on the level of expert. But, you know, I think that, that, that there's a lot of validity in that. If you, read, if you say, I'm going to read three books on leadership and you make sure you are discerning about what books you read, uh, you know, I think that you'll really improve your leadership skills. Um, you know, there was a, it was interesting. They, there are very few business leaders that are actually introverts. Uh, and, and you know, they made a big deal about it that Bill Gates uh, is a introvert. Uh, and yet, um, you know, he built a huge company. Um, in your case, since you are a self-professed introvert, why do you think there's a difference between an extrovert in your business life, but an introvert in your personal life? Yeah. To me, when I think extrovert and introvert, it's about how do I recharge? And I recharge by having some thoughtful time to reflect, which means either some quiet reading or listening to podcasts on my own that I can reflect on or like active meditation of running or cycling. Those are the things that recharge me so that I can process through all the ideas and the other things that are happening. And then when I'm on, be on. Whereas I, and I think, you know, I think leaders can be great either way. Like what's going to recharge you so that you're ready to give your best to your team. Yeah. That's why I think it, they're both great answers, but um, I can see, yeah, that's why I, people are like, I don't really believe you. Really? I'm like, no, nice and quiet. Good cup of coffee and a book. Best way to recharge. 100%. Give that to me any day. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can be a good leader if you're, if you're not having some time to take care of yourself, right? I mean, I think we've all been around. Listen, I'm 58 years old. I've certainly been around my share of uh, of the quote unquote leaders of business or nonprofits, and I think we've all seen what it's like. Well, let's say we. I say I've seen what it's like when you have someone who's a leadership position position who is going nonstop, and they're and and it they're crazy. Right. They, their mind is, you know, it's just either, you know, the, the, I, I don't want to do, do stereotypical, 
but they can't, they're not focused and they're, they're all over the place and they're, you know, you need that time to slow things down and rather you do it through exercise or meditation or being with your family or vacationing or stuff like that, you, you underestimate that ability for you to, to be a great leader is to also have some great downtime. Do you see a correlation in that too? I definitely see that. And I think um, there's what you see for individual leaders taking time to recharge, to rejuvenate. And there might be what one person is willing to accept for their heroic efforts or the speed, you know, for how they're running around getting things done. But the leaders are also then modeling that behavior to the rest of their team. So while there might be what they could tolerate as a leader on their own personally for some period of time, the longer they model behaviors like that, they're going to create unhealthy behaviors around them and they won't have folks left to lead, right? Because the folks around them will be burned out and stressed seeking other positions. So uh, I think there's two layers to why it's important that leaders should build in that time for self-care rejuvenation in whatever way is meaningful to them, because that's what's creating an environment for the rest of their team to do so and still then come together and create great things. Yeah. I think too, when I was in my thirties, um, I, I spent quite a number of time trying to understand the person I was at the time. So I, I, you know, I took I took quite a number of personality profile tests so that I could understand, you know, wh who I was, and then, so I think I could adapt a leadership style um, based on, you know, who I was, you know, something that fit me, but maybe didn't fit somebody else who's maybe uh, extremely um, authoritative, <laughs> which I'm not. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, but I think our, our, my, our listeners all understand what I mean by what would, you know, fit their own style. Um, what do you as a coach uh, help people understand what they're like? Potentially. So, um, Usually when we're interacting with nonprofit professionals who are thinking about what agile means and what agile leadership might mean to them, um, it's in a team coaching setting, not in mm. a one-on-one -on -one setting. And yeah, so yeah. Um, it's more the conversations that we're facilitating are around how we're interacting with each other and what the strengths and skills are that different people bring to the table. So um, rather than saying, well, we talk to individuals and leaders about using DISC or about using Enneagram or having like a specific way that we want everyone to think about it, um, rather seeing what the team might already have as language for how they I, value each other, support each other, understand each other's differences, um, not because it'll pigeonhole them, but because they have increased understanding of each other, right, and what's meaningful for them. So like I said, it's usually the, for us coaching is Team a, setting. a group setting. So it's a, a different dynamic than if it was to be like one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching, right? I know lots of coaches that do that sort of work with business leaders. I, I have one myself, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's slightly different because it's focused on team dynamics and teamwork yeah, towards yeah. the nonprofit goals. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, for 25 years and I still belong to uh, a group of nine guys uh, that got together uh, uh, all owning their own businesses. And 
every year we would go on a retreat together. And this one year we, we, we read this book called now discover your strengths. And it is, but it's written by the Gartner group, which is a famous uh, group that you've probably heard the, not, not the Gartner group, it's uh, the Gallup group, which you probably heard the Gallup uh, um, uh, surveys. Uh, it would, that's what they're into. And so they, in the book, they did, they studied 15,000 uh, leaders and they, they basically f- uh, found that these leaders, uh, what they were really good at was focusing on what they're really good at and not doing the things that they're not good at. But inside of the book, you take a quiz and the quiz tells you what type of leader you are. And then what we did was we all took it and then we all got up and we described, uh, you know, what the results said. Like one guy came out as a visionary, you know, he, he, he's really strong in vision, right? Um, I think I, I came at, I came out as uh, great at uh, execution, right? Getting things done, right? That was my, my real strength. Uh, so on and so forth. And so I would highly recommend, it's an older book, but it's really good. Now discover your strengths. And even in your setting that you're, you're saying about Diane, um, if, if, uh, if everyone on your team takes that test, they, they, you know, I think part of being a good leader is learning about what it is that your, um, your tendency, your ex, what you're already kind of pretty good at. Um, you know, when you are working on a team, do you find that emotional intelligence has a major effect on a dysfunctional team? Oh, it absolutely can. And now I'm thinking of, uh, it's not right here on the shelf, but the five dysfunctions of a team Uh, and that book and the related materials. Um, I would say that emotional intelligence could be a huge, uh, dysfunction for a team whether it's the formal leader or another member of the team that has a significant role, I think that uh, that's going to create an unhealthy potentially environment. It could, right? That's the risk for the team. It could create an unhealthy environment, uh, something about it that's hostile. It's a huge risk for the, the team for staying together and for the work that they want to do together. I think you're, you're right on. My, it was my biggest. So my, what I've learned at 58, right? Uh, I always thought that emotional intelligence was my biggest weakness, right? And what I found now within the re- recent period, recent recently, was it's not. I have really good emotional intelligence. My issue is is about um, feedback and keeping my mouth shut. And I I don't know if that's a form of emotional intelligence. Maybe Diane, you can tell me what you think it is. But you know, knowing how to put things in a, in a non-threatening professional manner when things are a little bit charged, uh, isn't my strength. So what, what would you consider that? Hmm. Well, I think that, uh, it's something that's common. I, I was hearing some of myself as you were describing that, um, right. When you're strong and confident in your knowledge in a team setting, you want to give your knowledge. You're trying to contribute. You said you like to move things to done, right? Help get the work done. And so you want to give your input to help the team. So it comes from a, a really well-intentioned place. But to 
pause and reflect, give someone else a chance, right? Someone that's quieter, that doesn't feel as confident in the moment. Yes. How do you like pause to give the space for them to speak up? Because maybe when they took the strength uh, quiz in that book, right, it wasn't that more authoritative style or structure for how they would participate. And so now you're giving them the space. But I think that back to like the building the muscles, that's one of those things uh, as we look at what would leadership mean for you versus that quieter person. It, it means different things. You're testing different things. You're growing different things. Both can contribute in an amazing way to a team though. So yeah. small nonprofits need to figure that out, right? Resources are so tight recognizing each other's strengths and values that you bring, I think, for leadership is what makes a small nonprofit potentially grow in the way that's meaningful to them. You know, it's, there's, it's, it's so fun that when you have, when you get big enough and you can kind of have a team and you go through together how to improve your leadership or management skills and everybody's working on it together, it, it, there's, there's, there's an exponential a multiplier effect when everybody is working on it together. It's, it really, I, I, some of the work that I did on with this one group I had um, was the best work I've ever done in 30 years of running companies uh, was this team of group of people where we all worked on this one project together to improve. And it was great. It was really great. And uh, when you're a small organization, um, that that makes a big difference because you can, you kind of can support each other. I mean, your your people get to know. Wow, the you know the executive director is a person. <laughs> you know, they're not just someone who barks orders. They're somebody who's a real person who has you know concerns about their own level of uh, of skill and uh, and is working on it. And that that was something that my team loved about me. That uh, uh, you know, one of the things was that they knew my heart was always in the right place. And then I was working like they were to try to get better and to really deliver what we said we were going to deliver. So um, we have about a minute or two left, Diane. Where would you like to kind of leave off as a summary today about our topic? I think I'd like to encourage your listeners, uh, regardless of their role or title in their nonprofit, to consider how they can strengthen and be a, a leader in their role. So even if they've got leadership firmly in their title, uh, I think everyone could consider what is some, like what would I like to try and change? What is one small change, one small thing I'd like to try to strengthen my leadership? So that whether, you know, it's the office manager in the small nonprofit that's listening to us today, or it's the program manager, or it's the executive director, everyone in those small nonprofit teams has the chance, the ability to really uh, make powerful change by embracing some values of leadership uh, by supporting others. And so I just, I want to encourage everyone to to think about what that means for you and what resources would be helpful. Like you said, Stephen, you found some of the things that are really helpful for you along the way and your readers might have, your listeners might have slightly different answers, but I'd encourage them to try and figure out what works for them to, to strengthen that leadership muscle. Yeah, I'm going to leave it off right there. It's so well said. I'd like to thank so very much to uh, Diane Leonard from DH uh, Leonard Consulting for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast and you're willing to give us five stars, 
please give us a review. It really helps us get the word out. The Nonprofit MBA podcast is in the top 5% of uh, podcasts in its category. And those reviews really help get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Diane, uh, if anyone gets in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Sure. They can uh, get our contact information at dhleonardconsulting.com, whether it's over email or phone or on the social networks of their choice. (laughs) That's the best way to find us. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. So I end every podcast uh, this way, uh, but it does fit today because we were talking about this. I want to thank all of our, our listeners for making the world a better place. You guys are out there doing the heavy lifting every single day. I know that Diane and I, we need to do our part the way to make the world a better place, but you guys are out there all the time. But if you're going to do that, you got to make sure you take really good care of yourselves. Uh, as a leader, you have to make sure that you're using that downtime, the biking, the going for a walk, the being with your family. You're no good to the people who work for you work with you, your family, your loved ones, if you're not taking good care of yourself. So please do that. Um, And I want to thank you again for listening today to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. 